Yo, take two. We gotta, we gotta move. No, yeah, that's not bad, right there. Yeah, there's, there you go. Works. Right? Let's go. <clears throat> Jk. Hola, hola. So we decided to record another one because we're probably not gonna come to Miami soon. Might as well just, just get it over with, you know. A little so, back, a little backup episode. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, might as well do it while you're here. So, Marcos, why Miami and why not another city? I mean, I like it, but what's the main point? It's just it's the only city that's warm. You can get high end amenities, like city amenities, and Eastern time zone in America with no state income tax. That's it. There's no, if you look at the East Coast, that's it. And it's on the coast too. It's on the beach. That's it. And it was this or Tampa, basically. You have to be in Florida. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull up one of your tweets and I'm going to ask you to explain it. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're going to do in this podcast. Tweet explainer podcast. Yeah. So, um, well, there's a few things here that, are, that is important. Hmm. So you have a few tweets over here. 1.8K likes, almost a million views. 1.4K likes, half a million views. 558 likes, 359,000 views. So Marcos, if I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, I understand likes and cash because I listen to this podcast and I know, but I want to get some engagement. What are some tips you give to someone who's like, I really need some engagement? So if you need engagement, you need to do what's tried and true as a bar. You need to do the tried and true frameworks and you need to add your own spin. And I made this tweet maybe a year ago. And it was that the only thing holding people back from using viral frameworks is ego. And if you're listening to this, pull up another tab and look up top 10 books on YouTube. You're going to see Patrick, but David's top 10 books. You're going to see Alex Ramosi's top 10 books. Time is it? Two minutes. All right. <laughs> You're going to see, uh, you know, top 10 books for Layla, top 10 books for Cody, top 10 books for Ali Abdal, top 10 books for this person and that person and this person. Why? Because every single 10 book list there is different because they personalized and every title is almost the same because they used a viral framework. So my advice to kind of guarantee an uptick in engagement is to find viral proven frameworks they're almost like the low hanging fruit of content, especially if you're new, find the viral frameworks and use your own personal opinion and experience to spice it up and use those in your content. Oh, there you go. Well, you know, one of the things that have helped me, it's not so much in the engagement, but the quality of the leads that I get is mentioning the things that I disagree with, like actually adding something that makes people go, I haven't thought about this because this, that is not a common take. So I'll give you an example. What I started posing about selling without sales calls. I got maybe like 3,000 views in a video, 4,000 views in a video, which to these numbers that I just you know, showed you from this guy right here, it's not too much, but it got me really good leads. We sold a 70 person workshop, hundred bucks per person on something I was going to do anyway. So one of those things that really help is what do you see in your industry that you disagree with? Like for me, I don't do sales calls. I don't believe in giving everything away for free. I think that only attracts freebie seekers. Uh, I have a few examples. And every time I've pulled one of those off, it usually gets the right people listening. 
the other day, I got on a call. This guy has a thousand followers, only talks about poker. He's like, I like to talk. Back when I was doing ghost shark, I'm like, sure, whatever. I got on a call. The guy only talks about poker. Turns out he was the owner of a nine-figure Amazon brand of shoes and like vests. Like I would, I would have never guessed. I probably bought from the guy at some point. But it's uh, that's what I mean about like whale bait. It's like thinking about what are the people that I want to attract thinking about that what is in their minds, but they haven't been able to put into words. And it's like, it's hard for me to explain how to do the thing, but once it's done, it, it really helps because there's a lot of unsaid bullshit in every industry. And if you are the guy that says it, you automatically become kind of this pioneer, somebody that kind of goes against the grain and everybody will cheer for that level of like kind of underdog angle. And you know what a uh, content pillar it is to find a trending thing in your industry and then give your hot take that you disagree with it. It's the trending pillar and it's the opinion pillar. Super Saiyan 2 right there. Well, there you go. We talked about this as the pesto pillars. For anybody yeah. who doesn't know pesto, let's see if I got it. So pesto is personal. What's E? Expertise. Expertise. S, you know what? You explain it. I don't really know. <laughs> Social proof trending and opinions and the best level one of content is just familiarizing yourself with having a good amount of all five and then level two is when you can know how to when you know how to combine the pillars so like a personalized thread about a trending topic with your opinion on it right like you can really go really powerful if you use them and then the last level level three is when you're doing it but unconsciously it's not deliberate <laughs> it's like you're just you just think in the pillars you think in tweets and by the way like this level of marketing is not something you evolve into it's like something it's like a state you tap into it's like at some point you can do it but it's not like you can do it on command if you don't feel it maybe right now we just went for a walk we had some kava we're like kind of chilling if right now i'm like mark marcos like write a million impressions post it's not like you're going to command it, but it's like a state you tap into, you know? So like sometimes you feel like I'm not doing that. Well, I must be a shit marketer. Yes and no. You are a shit marketer for those 30 <laughs> minutes that you're trying to force the thing, but not forever. It's pretty good. Good stuff. We're going to, we're going to clip that shit. You know, it's going to be clip. Yeah. All right. Let's keep going. Uh, let's see what you got. <clears throat> so <laughs> something we do might be, might be helpful. Uh, we only take calls on Mondays. Now I'm doing Mondays and Wednesdays sometimes, but the act of batching these calls, it's a hack. Like you just, it's kind of miserable that day because you're back to back to back and you have to be on your A game, but there's two benefits to only having calls on Mondays. Number one, you don't have calls six days of the week. And number two, you lose weight because you don't have time to eat. <laughs> so you just do the whole thing especially yeah. if you're in a cut actually works because you're not thinking about food while you do that thing yeah especially and for me too it's like you for me i don't know about you but when i'm on calls i just can't be in a state of like creativity and i can't really think innovative and creative when i have calls so for me it's like i'd rather sacrifice one day for 99 percent of my calls that way the other six days i can actually be creative Think of innovative ways to move the business forward. Think of new ways to market. Think of new caps lock frameworks, et cetera. Listen to the last podcast for that. Uh, 
for that framework. Um, How I many can't calls do, do you have on Mondays? Um, my bare minimum is 12. And that's not that's if I don't have sales calls or impromptu calls. So my, my bare minimum scheduled calls is 12. And that's because I have uh, one, two, three, four, five team calls or six, five. I have like five team calls and like eight client calls or something like that. It's it's something crazy. It's not. Well, that that's how you. And then I have jujitsu after. <laughs> Wait, right, do you eat? I eat. Yeah, I eat. I have like a one hour gap at like noon where I'll eat and then I eat dinner. Cool. Well, that's one way. Like you said something to me about dinner. Uh, uh, last night at dinner, you said, yeah, we're trying to look for someone who like to hire or someone to partner up with. That, by the way, Jake, is the opposite of you. Wait, what? <laughs> you, you said that to me. It's like, we're looking for someone who's the opposite. Of oh, me. Like, yeah. What I do you it. mean, yeah, bro? Yeah. The opposite of me. Or like somebody who's like trying to scale, you know, like I don't. Yeah. I got down the scale rod. The way I tried to do it was kind of flawed. It was trying to get closer setters. Now I don't do sales calls. I don't have setters. It's all with a Google Doc. I just sell with text. Yeah. And I just love it that way. But I was not a fan of that. Like back then, it didn't make a lot of revenue, but we incurred like 40000 plus in costs. And it was some heavy shit. And it took like, honestly, I was really afraid of switching because I thought that was the only way you could do it. And often that's where a lot of my anxiety comes from. It's I know, well, I've only done it this way. Like, bro, like when I caught the first time, I was I was terrified to book. I'm like, I'm going to be fat. And I hate being fat and I lost all this fat and I hate it and I don't want to change it. Same thing with this business model. I don't want to change it. But uh, when it's like sometimes a coach had to give me permission to JK, it's okay to change. You can you can change your business model and you'll be okay. And I switched to the whole uh, less scale. And now I just want to hit 100K profit per month for myself. And, you know, I'll take step two from there. But for now, I'm really not interested in scale. But Marco said, I am. He wants to get team members. So we actually run kind of very different businesses. Yeah. And I, you know, JK, one day when he comes to his senses and wants to go and scale to 2 million a month, he's going to be one of my clients. <laughs> but if I, if I, if I just post, yeah, actually, guys, I've had a ghostwriter all this time. It's Marcos. Yeah. <laughs> it would go so viral. <laughs> like the number one psyop on, on money Twitter. Uh, I changed my mind all the time. Somebody was like, but JK, you used to think giving value for free was the way. Now you don't. And you used to be a ghostwriter. Now you're not. I'm like, yeah, I changed my, I changed my mind every 30 it, minutes. This is the change my mind podcast. Yeah. The, I don't know the podcast. Yeah. But I don't know the podcast. Like, yes. you know, if anything, it's a sign of a, I think it's an, it's a sign of an intelligent man when you can, I sound like Andy Tate. It's a sign of an intelligent person when you can change your mind on topics and just admit like i was wrong i can do it a different way what was something you were wrong about Ooh, that's a good one something i was wrong about is that i can work with anybody i thought when i started that i could work with anybody and i slowly found out in the most painful way possible can't work with this person. Oh, can't work with that kind of person. Oh, can't work with that kind of person. Oh, and then I found out another thing I was wrong about was that, you know, 
every niche can be scaled. There's something called TAM, total addressable market. It's real. You got to tell me a story about this, bro. Like either one of the little TAM or tell me something. So I had a client, I'm not going to give away the niche, but I had a client who was in the, who was in a niche where it was just like the total addressable market on Twitter, just not that big. And I swear we've did everything I've, you know, we bought, we bought ads, we bought retweets, like all sorts of stuff. This is just like not enough of this market on Twitter specifically, just not growing, just not getting engagement. Nobody gave a fuck about that uh, niche. And I, that's, this is one. I've had another one that was a completely different niche where he, this was a completely different problem. The, the first problem was that guy was under a thousand followers and we just could not grow him. I'm just like, we cannot get traction no matter what we do. We would go viral, boom. If we went viral, if we went like super uh, mainstream tweets or threads, people would click his profile and not follow him because he was just in such a such a niche niche and then if we went super niche we just wouldn't find enough people to follow him he, i swear like he every all 800 people in his niche followed him and then i had another client who had like thousands tens of thousands of followers where i in my opinion i just think he hit the, he hit the ceiling i think the entire market that was interested followed him already we sent out a thousand dms in terms of like a dm campaign bad like no there's just no interest how do you deal with that like you're doing a done for you service mm-hmm. doesn't work out and yeah like, she i mean i set expectations i set really good expectations especially for clients in niches like that like those niches were not they obviously weren't like um like bread and butter like education info products like where i'm like oh i've done that like 20 times i know i'll scale you it wasn't like that you know what i mean so my expectations from the beginning are set much differently it's like we're gonna try it like i think we can get these results for you this is what we're getting for other clients in different niches but uh admittedly i've never worked with your niche and i set that expectation up very early and they know that they're investing and it's a risk just like any business i don't set guarantees in the same way that i don't set commitments so that person who came and worked with us for a month was not locked into for example you know, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars for multiple months. They were only locked in up front for one month, and at the same time, I didn't guarantee them the results. So I think it's setting up those, setting up those uh, expectations, and then at the same time, at the end of the engagement, it's a little awkward. But when you're a CEO, you got to have these difficult conversations. Like, hey, ma'am, we didn't get the results that we wanted. Admittedly, like I could keep trying, and like I, I've actually, I've given a few free weeks to try and like turn, turn it around. Like instead of thirty days, I go thirty-seven days or forty days. I've done that a couple of times. I'm like, Hey man, admittedly, like the results are just not what we'd like. I personally am not even sure that it's going to be possible to scale with our method with, with your niche. I'm open to trying another month if you'd like, but again, you know, I'm just not hundred percent confident with, with your niche and they, they've fully respected it. And they're like, wow, that's like really cool of you to be honest and transparent, et cetera. Because you know, in this industry, most people are pretty slimy. Do you refund? No, no refund. Because you, you didn't propose it in the beginning. I didn't propose right? it. And I've offered a refund. I've offered refunds in the past and they just said no. So this time I didn't even. Good stuff. I have a thought on this. Like if I'm listening to this and I'm unsure about my niche, I may be like, well, do I change it? Do I not change it? What do I do? And I have kind of a maxim for this. You don't choose the niche. You you let the niche choose you. So let's say you run a, um, a pizza shop or run an email on this. Let's say you run a pizza shop and sales are not as good as they could be. So you take common niche advice that you hear on YouTube and you think, who is the target market for this? 
maybe somebody who has money who needs to eat pizza fast and they have the requirement for that doctors they have money so now you rebrand for pizza for doctors and you put it on your slogan but then the wealthy lawyer the wealthy banker the wealthy marketer are going to look at that and think that's for doctors though it's not for me and then because you niche down you lost on all of that potential whereas maybe you will encounter the same problem marcos's you know client had that the tem is just too small so i'm a bigger fan of thinking okay i'm making these pizzas what is the most popular pizza and then you make more of that and then you let the niche come to you you start with the offer first you don't choose a niche i'm gonna go for wealthy veterinarians in idaho right you let a niche choose you you put the offer out there and you analyze well who is responding i don't know if you started off like this but you did you, you know you did the the ghostwriting and the monetization did you start with uh like experts coaches and consultants in mind or was it something more like you put the offer out and it turned out that experts and coaches and consultants were the ones that needed it the most yeah so i when i started i was just doing founders and ceos and just like saying that and i put it out cold dms to just all founders and ceos i think actually the, the practical thing i was doing i think you taught me this was phantom buster i scraped alex hormozzi's followers and then i keyword reverse search for ceo and founder and then i cold dm'd every ceo and founder uh and that i would grow their following what had happened was is i had a couple of failures for i failed for a SaaS founder it wasn't very good like we got him some SaaS subscriber trials but it was like what i quickly found out about SaaS, and and i quickly knew i started knowing that i needed monetization after this is when i ha i worked for a SaaS founder and he got like a bunch of trials and stuff but then i did the math because i asked him i was like well how many subscribers do you need to even make your money back with us right it's like he needed like 10 to 15 paying 97 a month SaaS subscribers to even make money with us because we were only charging a thousand bucks and coming from SaaS, that shit's tough yeah for those who know it's like especially with not a lot of followers organic yeah organic and and it was a niche it was a niche SaaS. it was actually like data as a service and i quickly realized that oh we got seven trials from this from this couple thread like this few weeks i was like those trials we'd be lucky if one converts to a paying subscribe subscriber so i i quickly realized if i want to charge and 1000 was the bottom if i want to go charge three four five thousand a month how am i going to get that much results for a SaaS founder so i i scrapped SaaS founders after that and then eventually i worked for free i did three free trials i think i've told the story one was like an n or like one was a web three agency one was another uh like a, a e-com guy and then something was someone else in all of those were like, man, like not that great, whatever. And I quickly realized, oh, one was a design agency. And I quickly realized all of those niches were out the window. Uh, <laughs> so then I had like another client and then I got another client referred who was a coach and I crushed it for him. Fucking knocked it out of the park. Insane results. Like I have screen, you can go back in 2022 and see the screenshots. Like these people were like all caps in the slack. Like, oh my God, like we did you know, 50K, 100K, 25X return on ad spend, 50X return on ad spend, insane numbers. And I was like, okay, so now all I thought to myself verbatim, I thought to myself, how do I get more of these? 
how do I get more of these? And there's only two ways. There's one is I basically just search for people who have this exact business model or two referrals. And that's what I did. So I just started reaching out to coaches and yeah, we slowly acquired the coaches and getting referrals at the same time. And then from there, we crushed like four or five people. Uh, I actually signed someone on a rev share deal because they couldn't afford our service at the time was 3000 a month. He was like, I'm not doing $3,000 a month. I don't even have a sale yet. Let's do 1000 a month and 15% rev share. I was like, oh, fuck, it feels like a big step back. And I knew, I forget who told me, but I knew rev shares are only good if they're on top of your retainer and not in, in place of your retainer. So this is a piece of practical advice for early people is you don't do rev shares in place of your retainer. You do a retainer plus a rev share because all you're doing is taking on risk. Uh, so that was a risk, but I knew I was still pretty early in my business, like maybe like six, seven months in. I was like, you know what? I'll take a shot. It's my niche. Let's do it. You know, call it four months later, we were doing like 60K in sales for that client with, you know, 15% rev shared. We ended up doing a negotiation where we now negotiated down to, uh, it was like down to 5% and my retainer went way up. And yeah, to this day, we have a rev share and a, and a high retainer for that client. And he referred me another client who I got a rev share with that person. I did the same deal. I was like, he referred you, I'll give you the same deal as him. Let's put a contingency. So this is another practical tip you can do is you can put a contingency in your contract. Uh, so I did a handshake contingency because I did not fucking write a contract with a contingency. <laughs> so I did a handshake contingency. Basically, it was $1,000 a month plus 15% contingent on when we start making you uh, a certain amount of money. I forget what the number was, maybe like 10,000. Whenever you make this certain amount of money, that contingency activates and we will go up to uh, like three or four thousand or $3,000 a month. And then the percentage will go down to 10%. And I hit it, crushed it again. Cause again, this is the same niche to this day. I've had this client for about a year. Uh, do I know him? Yeah. You know, him. I, I've, we've talked about him earlier, oh. all these clients, you know, and these person referred me, this person has referred me another client and again and again, and I use, all I did is basically it's called uh, I, I don't know what to call it. Like a case study stacking. All you do is you get a case study use it in your marketing to get another case study, use it in your marketing to get another case study and over and over and over. And then it just, it avalanches. And now you have a nailed down niche because everyone in that niche knows that you've done it four or five times in a row and it gets easier and easier and easier to close sales in that niche. Case studies is a good point. I think you made a good point. I think case studies are useless if it doesn't have one thing, which is context. If you provide context to the case study, it hits. If it doesn't have context, doesn't it? Example, if I post somebody making $10,000 a month, okay, like you just swipe it. It's like, it doesn't matter to you. But if I say this person has 500 followers and he is making $10,000 a month because you have context, you put yourself in that position and you understand how that works. This is why case studying is another example of storytelling because you give people context in what that situation was and then people put themselves in that situation so to me it's in, i it, it's like i could put two of the exact same same case studies but in one of them oh there you go it's moving now well <laughs> marcus we're gonna we're gonna need to get closer now <laughs> <laughs> we only got like 10 minutes left anyway we're fucking kids <laughs> okay so i'll say this was the niche and this was the how much money they made uh then it, it hits but if i don't put it in the other one people don't care like 
giving context to stuff is good. That's one thing you mentioned. Second thing you mentioned about um, that I want to point out is you don't choose the niche. The niche chooses you because I started with agency owners and consultants, mostly helping people out like that. But uh, I, I don't want to say that 100% of the people I help like crushed it, right? doesn't happen like that. But I noticed that some people had a cap. Some people were doing well, but they wouldn't keep doing well. And I'm like, why are you not getting any more clients? They're like, because we're capped. I'm like, what do you mean you're capped? I can't take any more clients because they were in agency and they didn't have the systems to support it. They were a done for you kind of deal. Whereas consultants could take way more people. The upside that I could provide to them was way higher. Therefore, I it's not that I only take consultants, but it makes sense that when I write and when I market, I think about them because the niche chose me. I didn't choose consultants. The niche chose me. And that's why I think when people ask me, what niche should I choose? To me, it's like kind of an irrelevant question because it's not the one that you're asking the question backwards. Yeah. It's you sending out the, the offer and then you let the niche choose you. Yeah. Consultants have the highest lifetime value for you. Whereas an agency, once they get capped, they're kind of well they're good they've kind of completed their life cycle with you whereas the life cycle with a consultant for you could be three four five ten times longer yeah well there's that and the yeah. third thing i want to point out is this insights wouldn't have happened if we didn't move before trying to get clarity imagine we ask a coach or a consultant man like i have agency owners and consultants what do i choose or marcos is like do i do ref shirt or i do not it's like we couldn't have arrive to the answer if we first didn't act so when people 95 percent of the people that uh, like come out to work with me i ask them on their forum what what would you like like what is something we can help you with 95 percent is i just need clarity like that's the main thing i just want clarity but clarity is always step two it's like riding a bike if you want to stand on the bike the first thing you have to do is you got, you got to move it like you, you got to be able to move the bike because in motion it's harder to stabilize than if you're standing still so one of the main cures for anxiety because you don't have any clarity is just get going and eventually you start figuring it out and it's it sucks that advice sucks but if it were easy everybody would do it you know what i mean banger there you go easy so that's one of the things that uh, when i'm feeling anxious it's because i'm not moving it's either because i'm doing things that i know i shouldn't or i'm not doing things i know i should and as soon as i align my actions with what I know I should be doing at that moment, clarity just appears. But it, if you try to get clarity on its own, it doesn't work because clarity is always step two. It's like trying to stabilize a bike before you move it. You can't. Yeah. I, there's a quote. I forget. I don't know if it was Jeff Bezos or it might have been Jeff Bezos, but he's like, anxiety is just, uh, anxiety just comes because you're not doing what you know you need, you're supposed to be doing or something like that. Um, that's how I've always cured my anxiety now. Like if I'm ever anxious, I'm just like, what am I not doing? Okay, I'm going to go do it. <laughs> no more anxiety. No more anxiety. It's like pretty good. Yeah, just like if you, I'll give you an example. The other day I ate too much. I'm like, fuck, I'm above my calorie limit. And I was getting so anxious because I was thinking about, okay, am I going to skip dinner tomorrow? What am I going to do? So I knew that the cure to anxiety is movement. So I got on the on the stationary bike. I'm like, oh, well, I eat this many calories. Let me just burn the calories and I'll be okay. And then I finished and I felt way better. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Exactly. Honest, yeah. Honestly, if I ever eat like shit, 
or I know I'm going to eat like shit, I have to either work out right before so that I don't get anxiety or I work out after to cure any anxiety. I can't eat like shit and then just not work out. I'll feel like I will have anxiety. It's horrible. It's I'm going to be a fat, I'm like, I'm a fat fuck. Do you, do you move every day? Do you do something uh, every day? Yeah, I walk every day. Okay. I walk every single day and I also run now. I'm trying to, I'm training for a marathon this year. Um, so it's either, I'll either, every day I'm either doing a long run or jujitsu or I'm resting from that. So no uh, weightlifting. Well, I, I started doing, uh, Murphs. Well, not complete training for Murphs. I bought a weight vest, a 20 pound weight vest. So I need to be able to do it body weight, which I can't yet. Um, and then I'm going to start doing Murphs with the weight vest because okay. I, I, I prefer like pull-ups and push-ups and like body weight squats and stuff like that. So I got the weight vest to like get actual resistance training. Cause for me, push-ups are very easy. Pull-ups are not that easy, but, um, push-ups are really easy. So I needed the weight vest. Tell the people how much you bench. I bench 225. There you go. Yeah, you know me. <laughs> if you don't bench two plates, you're whack. You're poor. You're poor. <laughs> poor. Drink water. <laughs> you actually said it exactly. Yeah. Right. You got to go soon, huh? We got time for like one more. Uh, we'll, do, we'll do one more. We'll, we'll do one, one more for the culture. So, um, okay. We, we started on, I like this podcast to be themed as like kind of failures so what is one I'll, I'll share one one failure that i think it's like when sometimes we uh, we switch to actually just it's uh you can join the thing you don't have to do any contracts and the first step is uh getting on a one-on-one -on -one call with me but if you don't want to stay you don't have to stay so i got a i got more yeses but something got pissed me off. Like, and at the time I was like really childish about it. Like, fortunately it didn't like move, like it didn't proliferate. But I was like, some people would just get in a call and leave. Like I charged 5K for a call. Some people would just pay 250, get in a call and then goodbye, never see him again. And we used to be like so salty, so petty about it. And sometimes I still am, but it's, it's one of those, this, it's just a huge, like a huge L and I hated it. And it just made me like real emotional this week. And it just happens at every level. And sometimes I'll message my friends that are like, you know, they're making more money than me. They're making fucking half a million a month. I'm like, do you, do you have this too? Like, do you get annoyed at this shit too? He's like, bro, all the time. So it was one of those like L's that kind of like brought me back to perspective. I'm like, yes, it's going to happen. And so what? Do yeah. you have an L like that? It's not an L. It's more just like an annoyance from the same kind of thing. It's like as an agency, one thing I've learned, one thing you learn as an agency owner, especially as an agency with a bit of notoriety is you get on sales calls with people who are supposed to be successful all the time. And you quickly find out who's faking it and who's not. Because if someone's interested in your service, you can quickly tell when you go and price drop if they're serious or if they're not. And if they make as much money as they kind of show on the internet. And that's one thing I've learned as an agency owner. And it's, nothing annoys me more is when like you get on a call with someone who's supposed to be this successful CEO, whatever, or is this successful business owner. They've had an exit or something like that. Like you see, you know, how people display themselves on money, Twitter, and then you drop the price and they go cold. And you're like, Oh, I don't think this, like, you, you know how you drop price and you can tell if someone has it or doesn't. Yeah. That's because I work with so many people that do have it. 
quickly find out who's faking it and who's not um, on money Twitter just from having people interested and like you give them the price and you see how they react. So that's one thing I've learned. Uh, how do they react? I'm curious. So I'm like, it is I'll say $6,000 like, or Yeah, like I'll be like, oh, you know, it's, you know, call it fucking, I'll say $8,000. Like I say, it's like, oh, it's $8,000. Um, and they're like, oh, okay. Uh, well, so yeah, like, yeah, if you can just like send me the proposal and like, <laughs> you, and then, you know, the person that I have is like, the person who doesn't, or sorry, the person who has it most of the time will be like, oh, that's not bad. Or like, or they'll say, let's do it, of course. Or they'll just be thinking. I had someone that sat on the call like this after I price dropped and just sat there like this in silence. Uninterrupted silence for three minutes long. And then he goes, let's do it. Let's go. What's the worst that can happen? I'm like, okay. That was a really long silence. He's like, yeah, I wanted to see how you'd react to the silence. And because all I did was stare at him. Really? Yep. You just t posed on his ass. I didn't squirm. I didn't. You didn't feel the same. I didn't just look, like. I okay, didn't, do it. Do, do it to the camera. I want to see what you did. <laughs> nice. Uh, I respect that. That's it. And then I didn't squirm. I didn't laugh. I didn't say hello. Hello, sir. Don't be a bitch. <laughs> you got to man the fuck up. You know, this is a real business. One thing I fucking hate. <laughs> Let's leave it at this. I tweeted this maybe two Let's weeks ago. Going. I'm enjoying this. You can pull it up on my, all right. It's a, uh, it's, you know what I hate is when dudes will like, they'll have like a B2B business. It's like an agency. And then their profile picture is like a mirror selfie. I'm like, bro, you're trying to sell like a four figure, five figure throughout the year service to other CEOs, like grown ass business owners. Like you're cold DMing them. You're like, hey man, like I can help you do this, that, and the other. I can help you make like an extra this much a month. And then you click on their profile and it says, it's a mirror selfie like this, bro. <laughs> like, bro, are you trying to like, who are you selling to a girl? Like you're selling to like your, your crush. You're selling to a literal CEO. How can you not have a professional profile picture when you're selling to business owners? Oh man, it's my biggest pet peeve. I have another one. It's like when... Uh, and I've done it too. Like I'm not, uh, I've done this too. It's like when you talk to your peers instead of your prospects on social media, I just closed a $5,000 uh, a month client. And you're like, bro, like, yeah, you realize you just price dropped yeah. to everyone. And you look like really needy. Bro, just got a piff. <laughs> bro, just got a paid in full first agency sale. Let's go. Oh, dude. Imagine you close someone. They're like first client ever. Yeah. Let's go. Like, and I never like I never did that. Like I knew that like you, I feel like if you have a little common sense, like if you see that tweet from someone, you just know they're not going to make it. 95% of the time. Or they're just young in the game, like to be fair. Or that's exactly what I was going to say. 95% of the time. The other 5% is they're just young and they're new and they just didn't get it. But yeah, that's tough. Don't do that. Cause like, if I see that shit, I want to refund big bro. It's like, the same. <laughs> it's like posting, like building in public, sharing what I learned. Just like, uh, not a professional. I'm not an expert in things. I told this story. It's like you have a restaurant and you have a big sign that says I'm learning how to cook. Yeah. I didn't tweet. 
I tweeted revenue at these milestones. I tweeted at 10K a month. I tweeted just that I got my agency to 10K a month in a certain amount of time. And the reason I did that is because I was trying to attract agency owners on purpose. And then it was 30K a month. I did the same thing, but it was the, the leverage that I used was I hit 30K a month using my Twitter. See how I'm selling to other people using their Twitter. And then I didn't tweet again until like 60. But I think I used those milestones for either virality or to attract the person that I was addressing with the tweet. Those are the only times it makes sense. I did, I did something similar. Now I'll never do it again, by the way. <laughs> I, did, I did something similar. I, I put out a folder of folders. So it's a Google Drive folder and the folders were called, I don't know, call it health, gut got health, uh, dating, business, writing. And I said, took me an hour, but I finally organized all the testimonials into folders. And that revealed that, you know, I'm not a bum. And the second one is that, oh, these are all the niches JK works with. Let's see if I'm in there. That's good. Yeah. So I tried that one uh, back in the day. It was, it was, I tried was one. Cool. I tried, I'll give you, and cause I want to, let's, you're going to be late. So um, I do want to try, I want to finish off with a failure that I did in this exact moment. I posted a, screenshot maybe a year ago i wrote in my notebook all the niches that i could see us working with one day and i wrote them all down it was like 50 on a piece of paper and i wrote them i'm like i basically i don't i forget what the tweet was but i basically tweeted a picture of the notebook pages with a, the writing of all the niches that we were looking for almost as like an impromptu hand raiser and i was like this is gonna bang i'm gonna get at least a few people from these niches never worked didn't work didn't work. Didn't get a single person from any of those niches. <laughs> I was like, damn. And one thing I did learn in this moment, in that moment and throughout last year is that it is so hard to sign as an agency for me to find a good fitness coach education business that has like scale potential. Man, fitness coaches are either broke or they're lifestyle businesses. There's very few good big education fitness businesses like Dan Go or like knees over toes guys, like the guys who are already so big, they have internal teams that they don't need me. There's very few guys that are in the middle where they're like trying to get to that level. It's very hard to find, but if you're there, this is my hand raiser. <laughs> <laughs> Come sign up the bird. I'll, 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 I'll end with this one. So we had, um, one time there was a, a, a girl client. Oh, this is, this is kind of wrong, but I went, okay. We had kind of a girl client, right? Kind of a girl? Like, we had a girl client. Okay. Sorry, sorry. I'm being, I'm being imprecise with my language. Thank you, Marcus. You're welcome. Thank you, thank you. And, uh, but, like, she was she was really hot. And when she did hand razors, and um, it just outperformed everything. Just, it was an excuse for dudes to get into DMs. So, we, we rebranded it. We stopped calling it hand razors. We were like, you should just do a dick razor. And she, <laughs> <laughs> and it worked. It was awesome. Welcome to the Alexia Cash podcast. See, See you later. in the next. That's one. good. That's good marketing. That's good marketing. <laughs> that's genius. You got to use what your what God gave you. So, cheers, cheers guys. Cheers.